You're listening to Boss Ladies and Babies with Mickey and Megan, two best friends adventuring through motherhood, building our careers, and and not losing losing our shit. Welcome back to Boss Ladies and Babies. This is Mickey. And this is Megan. Hi. Hey. Happy Mother's Day week. Yes. Yes. So exciting. Coming up in just a few days. Super weird, unfortunate timing, but there's been so many, you know, celebrations that we've had to kind of readjust how we celebrate. So here's just one more. Yeah. Man, I mean, I guess it's every mother's dream to be trapped at home with their children for Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, is that everyone? (laughs) Yeah, I hope you're all hanging in there, being super, super moms, super wives, super women. Yeah, that's the best we could do. Yeah, well, yeah. Make the most of the Mother's Day, and hopefully next year's Mother's Day will just have to be extra, extra, extra special. Or maybe we'll get, like, a little bonus celebration when this is all over. Yeah. You know, to make up for Mother's Day. Who knows? So um, we all just, we're still in this together, so all of us moms are going to be having a little bit of a hard day on Mother's Day. But we can get through this together. And this episode hopefully will help. This episode is just like a complete example of how in this together we all are. Um, We have reached out to our community and brought together a montage of amazing birth stories and postpartum stories from women in our community and have put them all together to honor all of us women for Mother's Day. So even though it might be a kind of a bummer time with the quarantine, um, it just is nice to remember we're all in this together. Yep. And I think it's a really great way to celebrate how different we all are and how everyone's journey is, you know, completely unique. And we're all so much stronger than we ever thought that we could be, even in these times. And yeah, we're we're all going to get through it in our own ways. And it's, yeah, it's fun and really special to hear everyone's individual story and experiences. So I really hope you guys like this episode. It's a pretty special one. Yep. So just give your guys, give yourselves a little extra love this week and on Mother's Day. And we are here with you guys and we love you and we appreciate you and you are all doing an amazing job. Um, before we dive into the amazing stories that we have to share, we're going to kick this off with our highs and lows like we always do. <laughs> so I might go first because my low is low and I don't want to put a damper at the, at the end of the <laughs> episode here before we get into these stories. So if you don't mind, Mickey, I'm just going to yeah, go dive for on it. in. Okay. So my high, it's Cinco de Mayo. I love Cinco de Mayo. I love margaritas. Um, I'm currently drinking one. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That is my high. <laughs> <laughs> margaritas with your best friend. I'll margaritas take it. Margaritas with my good. best friend. <laughs> That's my high. Um, I've had a really hard week. Like, just really hard. Um, my 
husband is not feeling well. And so we have been playing it safe. Um, and he has been quarantined in the master bedroom since Saturday morning, which means solo parenting. I have no idea how all of you women who have to do solo parenting do this. I've, I haven't really ever had to do this before. Um, trying to find time for work. I'm like, I can't live in a messy house. So also just like busting my butt to keep up on the chores, which note to self, like anytime I complain about my husband not doing enough, like I'm, I'm seeing all the things he does right now with him not being here to help. So, um, it's just been a struggle. So yeah. And Cinco de Mayo today, just me and Nora, (laughs) which is kind of a bummer because it's also one of his favorite days to just like hang out and celebrate and drink margaritas together. But Nora and I had tacos out on the porch together. So it was kind of fun, but, um, yeah, just, just feeling real sorry for myself today. So, um, and this whole week. So, He's okay. He he's getting better. His symptoms are getting better. We're just playing it really safe with everything that's going on. So, um, yeah, that's my low. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bummer and power to you for getting through it on your own. And yeah, I feel I just feel awful for all of you. Him for being quarantined and not feeling well, and you and Nora, just a really. Yeah, really crappy situation. So I hope he feels better soon. Yeah, thank goodness for FaceTime. I mean, he's just like, I kind of relate to how hard it is. Because when I had my really bad, like cold pneumonia crap in January, February, I was trapped up in the room. And I could like hear them down here having fun. And like, I, I, I know that he's having a really hard time with that. He misses us so much. And especially now that he's starting to feel better. And he's like, okay. Like now I'm just in here and I miss you guys. Yeah. 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 So we'll see what the next couple days bring, but I'm just feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally acceptable. And yeah. Big hugs for sure. Thank you. Um, Let's see my high this week. um, It was my mom's birthday the other day one of my moms. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, we've had a few family birthdays since the like beginning of this thing, but nothing like this hardcore quarantine. So um, we, yeah, we're just kind of bummed out about not being able to go celebrate with her or anything. So we did a little video chat dinner I baked a little cake so we like put candles in the cake and sat and um sang happy birthday and we blew out the candles with her and stuff and just kind of made it our own celebration cute and it was yeah it was um it was cute it was it was fun it was nice to be able to like at least celebrate like kind of face to face not Mm -hmm. in real life but um just kind of put everybody in a better mood and made it not seem so bad, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was exciting. <laughs> and we're like searching for highs this week, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my low, uh, the, yeah, it's just the, it's just starting to really wear on all of us. Um, my 
husband's grandma is um, in like a hospice kind of home and she's just like declining a lot and it's just start it's really hard to not be able to go visit her or anything so mm-hmm. we're just missing her a lot and thinking about her a lot these lot I mean every day but especially the last few days as um, she just you know progresses and it's just heartbreaking to not be able to go see her and visit and phone calls are hard because she has a hard time breathing and and all of that and so it just makes me think of all the people that are going through losses right now or um, illnesses and not like I can't imagine not being able to you know go be with your loved ones I've heard so many stories of people just like oh if you're gonna go in you have to be like in a full hazmat suit kind of situation or people just being alone in the hospital and it's just awful and heartbreaking and yeah so my heart just goes out to every everybody right now like this just sucks Sucks. it just sucks all day every day it's all terrible yeah you think that it would start to get easier and it's just I think at least it feels like the general consensus from my friends and on social media is at least this week has been getting harder for a lot of people Yeah. yeah yeah and and then for some reason traffic seems to just be like creeping back up we live on like a really main road and i'm like there's so many cars driving by and now i'm starting to get real cranky because Mm -hmm. i've been home for two freaking months like is everyone where they need to be and i'm just like why are you all driving are you essential are you essential where are you guys going right now why are there so many people out at three o'clock in the afternoon and i am losing it i'm like getting so mad so (laughs) stay home friends let's get through this let's just like wipe it out get it all over with and come out safe so we don't have to go through this again because i will lose my damn mind if we have to do this again in the freaking fall Mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 terrifying yeah. Ugh. well so mom <laughs> we got that up i mean we're all thinking it right so yeah yeah <laughs> we're all thinking oh. it <laughs> i think we're just feeling a little extra bitter because mother's day is coming up and we're just you know in this situation you know so oh. And I just love <laughs> that there's been, I've seen a meme going around that's like, we're going to be in quarantine for Mother's Day and we're going to get out just in time for Father's Day, aren't we? Of course. Or something yeah, like classic, that. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. So oh, funny. Oh, which, I mean, who knows if that's even going to happen. I don't even want to look that far ahead. Yeah. But, at this point, we'll just be lucky to get out. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, at least we're home. Yeah. With our families. Yeah. Like we're very lucky, lucky in that way. So we are, we are. And it's hard to remember that, you know, because it's, we get so blinded by all the distress and chaos and news and blah, blah, blah. It's just, but yes, at the end of the day, we are safe with our families and the ones that we love. And that is important. And, you know, especially on Mother's Day, just a nice little reminder of, the ones that we love, and the little gremlins that made us mothers. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode, um, it's kind of going to be in two parts. So we all know that, you know, labor and delivery is an incredibly intense, insane 
journey into motherhood. Um, so we're going to hear a few stories, you know, about um, the actual like birth experience of some of these ladies. And then there's also going to be some postpartum stories. So um, either like moments after birth complications with the delivery, that sort of thing. Um, so you'll kind of get both sides of the event, I guess, as we can say. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, kind of celebrate it all. Yeah. So big shout out to all of the mamas who opened up and became vulnerable with us to share their stories. Um, we really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to everybody listening to your stories and ours as well. We're going to share our stories. Um, and yeah, just what a special thing that we get to be mamas and, you know, the good, the bad, everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day, whatever that looks like this year. And we're sending you love and good vibes and we really wish you guys a great day. Yep. So here we go. Hey guys, it's Megan, and I am going to get this episode started and kick it off here by sharing my personal birth experience with all of you. Um, It's a little bit scary to get vulnerable with a group of people that will just be listening from their headphones, Um, but I think that what we're doing in this episode is really special, and I'm excited to share my experience along with all of these other strong, amazing women who are sharing their experiences with you guys. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to share my birth experience, um, with Nora and she was born on August 5th, 2018. And I was two weeks overdue with this little girl. She did not want to come out. (laughs) She was really cozy in there and she just was living it up. So um, that's kind of where the journey starts. We were trying everything we could to, you know, induce labor, all of the things that you read online, all of the advice that other mamas had given me. I tried literally everything. um, And it wasn't until my doctors started talking about giving her an eviction notice uh, <laughs> that I think she finally got the memo and decided to at least show interest in vacating. <laughs> so um, on August 4th at about 4.30 in the morning, um, I had gone to bed just, you know, thankfully my mom had come up because I was thinking it was going to be happening soon. And they were talking about inducing me on that next Monday and it was a Friday. Um, and so my mom was there and I went to bed on Friday night and I woke up at, you know, four 30 or so Saturday morning to go to the bathroom. And I stood up and I felt something happening. And I was like, did I just pee? No, no, there's no way I peed. Like, I think, I think my water just broke. And I went to the bathroom and I just kind of like stood in there for a second and realized that, okay, it's, it's definitely not pee. My water just broke. And so I went and I woke up Quentin and told him, Hey, um, pretty sure my water just broke. And 
I went and called my mom. She was downstairs and just told her like, hey, just start getting yourself ready. Like I'm going to take a shower and, and just kind of get stuff together to go to the hospital. Um, so I had the strep B, which I guess is like a semi-common thing. And if you do have the strep B and your water breaks, you do have to go to the hospital earlier than what you would um, if you didn't have the strep B because they have to pump you full of antibiotics um, just to be safe. So once my water bra- broke, you know, we, we called the doctor and they said, okay, yeah, just, you know, do what you need to do. Take your time, but go ahead and, and get here. So um, I was kind of bummed I didn't get that, like, active labor at home, contractions, all of that, um, like driving to the hospital, go, go, go kind of experience, but um, but it was fine. Um, we calmly, not so calmly, got in the car and it was kind of like, okay, this is happening. Like, it doesn't really feel like it's happening, like, but we're going and my husband drove us to the hospital. My mom and sister, Maya, my youngest sister was at my house too. And they followed. Um, and we got to the hospital and we checked in and got in the triage room. And, you know, they, they were thinking, okay, yes, you're indeed water is breaking. You're, you're going to be going into labor. And so they got me all set up in the room and I met my nurses for that shift and they were amazing. And I loved them so much. Um, and we got in there. We were there for quite some time. Nothing was really happening. Nora, in true Nora fashion, was still not ready to come out. I think she just wanted to let us know she heard us. And so um, we just kind of were waiting it out, waiting it out. It had been several hours. And um, they let me know, hey, like, nothing's really happening. I think we're going to have to give you Pitocin, which was not what I wanted. Um, just a little side note, I was planning on having a completely all natural labor. Um, I didn't want any drugs. I didn't want any, anything. I just wanted to do it myself, um, with no help at all. And so, you know, just the talk about even Pitocin and I'd heard horror stories. I was terrified. And so it was funny because when they mentioned it, they left for a little while and then they came back and they checked me again and they said, oh, it looks like things are starting to move along. And so it was as if once again, Nora heard them and was showing them, no, I'm fine. I can do this. Um, but unfortunately that, (laughs) that didn't keep happening. Um, I had completely stopped progressing and you know I mean things weren't moving along at all and the amount of time that my water had been broke with the strep B they just really wanted to get things going so we agreed to Pitocin um was the first kind of like bummer situation and you know but it it was what it was we had to do what we had to do so they gave me the Pitocin and I was starting to have contractions and you know we're doing all the things walking around the the hospital, doing laps, you know, bouncing on the ball, just kind of doing everything um, that you're supposed to be doing. And it just, my contractions were getting stronger and I was starting to progress. Um, But my nurse was kind of like, you know, I, I want you to not be able to talk. Like, that's how we know that things are, that things are moving along. Um, And so, 
things were starting to move along and the Pitocin was doing its thing and I was handling it. My contractions definitely started getting much stronger. Um, I was, you know, it's kind of a blur as most of you moms know, but I, I, so I'm not sure if this is the exact order, but my contractions were getting stronger and I was starting to, you know, really feel some pain, um, which I was excited about because that meant things were progressing. Um, and then there was a shift change and my new nurse came in and she basically told me, Hey, like this is how Pitocin works. And she bumped my Pitocin up by two dots, which they had just been bumping me up by like one dot every several hours. So she bumped me up by two dots and that was kind of the moment that shit hit the fan. Um, it's all just a really big blur after that because just that drastic increase of the Pitocin made a world of a difference and I, the contractions became so intense. Um, I just remember, you know, being in the bathroom, I need to take a bath, I need to take a bath and starting to run the tub and not even being able to walk to make it to the bathtub and just screaming and, you know, ripping my clothing off and I'm going to puke, I'm going to puke. And, um, just somewhere in all of this time frame, um, the original nurses that were there when I had first come in came back. And so that's how long this was all going on. It was, it was enough for two shift changes, which I was excited about because I, I loved my first nurses. And so, you know, Val was her name. I'll never forget. And she was holding my hands and talking me through this and you've got this, this is what you want to do. Like you, you can do this, you can do this because I still was not giving into an epidural at this point. Um, and (laughs) I had my family, um, in the room and my youngest sister was in the room for a lot of this. And eventually Mickey, who was there as well, had to, had to take her out because things were just getting too (laughs) intense. Um, but it was not until the point where I was shaking, which I heard, you know, was part of transition and, they got the cart ready. They were like, okay, we're going to check you. They had the, you know, little warming table that you put the baby on when they first come out ready. They had everything ready. They're like, this is it. This is it. We're going to check you. And I was only at four centimeters. So I physically was experiencing what you would when you're in transition, but I was only at four centimeters. That's how intense things were for me at that point. And that's kind of when I felt completely defeated So I first asked for fentanyl, which was, you know, kind of my plan B. If I had to give in to some kind of medical intervention, that would be my first step. So I asked for the fentanyl and it made me extremely sick and just really, really dizzy. She barely gave me any um, and it it had just made me so sick. And I said, you know, I'm dizzy. I'm dizzy. Are you going to give me more? And she said, no, you're not handling it well. So we're not going to give you any more. So on top of being in severe pain, I got no relief. And then I was super dizzy and sick and nauseous. And just, I mean, it was the most awful combination of things. Um, and so at some point along that path, um, 
after, you know, going back and forth with myself and just completely blacking out, I just decided, okay, I need the epidural. Um, side note, my husband was a freaking saint through all of this. And, um, I'm really surprised at myself. I never once yelled at him. I was really kind to him and, um, it was, it was a lot different, uh, with how I was acting towards him than I thought it was going to be, but he was amazing and so supportive and he was so scared seeing me suffer like that. So I think he was really happy when I decided to get the epidural. So the guy came in, I got the epidural. I remember just thinking like, you know, all the things I'd heard about epidurals, like, oh my gosh, am I going to be paralyzed? And this, 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 like terrified, but I got it. And because they needed me to sleep and relax so that I could dilate and progress. And so I definitely got relief from the epidural pretty quickly and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I could still feel my body. I could still feel, you know, everything. It just completely dulled the pain and I was able to sleep. Um, and I slept for a while and the doctor came in to check me and I was at a 10. And so this was it. Like this was the moment we've been waiting for. Sure. I had to give in on the, you know, first part of my birth plan with no medical intervention, but it was fine because after all these hours, I was finally there. And, um, so the nurse came in and said, okay, yep. Doctor said we can start pushing. And so at this point it was just my husband and my mom in the room and my nurse. And I could feel when I needed to push, which was really cool. I really didn't think that I was going to be able to feel that with the epidural because that was the one experience I really wanted to have. Um, and I could feel when I needed to push and it was, you know, it was great. And we were pushing and pushing and pushing and, um, you know, not a lot of things were happening. And I, at one point I asked the nurse, like, be honest with me, you know, is this common? I mean, I've been pushing for this much time in your experience. Have you seen, um, this kind of turnaround? Because when it came down to it, I had been pushing for four hours and Nora had not moved a single station. She was completely happy where she was. She had not moved at all after four hours. Um, I mean, and we tried every, you know, position. I, I did so much research about how to push. I mean, we did everything that, um, I learned to do and that I knew to do. And so finally the doctor came in and he checked things out and he was like, yeah, no, she's, she's not moving. So she's doing great. Like you're doing great. Everybody was doing fine. And so I kept pushing and, um, without really taking any break. And I remember looking at the clock and saying, okay, at six o'clock, I, I'm going to make my decision. And I asked the doctor, you know, what is going to happen here? I mean, it's been, you know, four hours or so now, and she's not moving. Is she going to, what are my options here? And he said, you know, her heart rate is fine. You're fine. Um, she's just not moving. So we can keep trying. And if she gets stuck, this could be a forcep or a vacuum type situation. Um, or we can go ahead and move forward with the C-section, but because you're both doing okay, it's really just going to be your choice. And that was the 
hardest choice that I ever had to make because I had to choose whether or not to give up on this experience that I was so excited to have and the, you know, the way that I wanted to bring my daughter into the world. And, um, I mean, I was terrified about a C-section. I didn't do really any research on it because I was just like, I'm not having a C-section. Like I'm going to have a natural birth and maybe I'll have a little bit of fentanyl if I have to, but I'm going to have a natural birth and that's just how it was going to be. And so, um, we took some time. I rested for a while and, you know, realized like, Hey, this is, this is where we're at and things aren't changing. Um, and so my original nurse Val was in there talking to us and she stayed late after her shift just to kind of be there with me. And I remember asking her, you know, we decided to move forward with the C-section and I looked at her (laughs) and I said, am I going to die? And she said, no, no, you're not going to die. Um, because I was so scared and, at that point, um, she just kind of held my hands and I'm not a very religious person. Um, I do have faith, but I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm super religious. And she just held my hands and she said, do you want me to pray? And I, I said, yes, please. And so she sat there and she prayed, um, and reassured me that everything was going to be okay. Um, and we had to wait for quite some time for the C-section, it was supposed to happen at 7.30 and then at a.m. and then it got pushed to about 8 o'clock. Um, and so it was just like this long waiting game and um, they were prepping me and it was like what's done had been done. We had made our decision. We both cried about it, Quentin and I, and we just, we had to do what was best um, because who knows if, you know, Nora would have been okay had we kept trying or God forbid if we did and then she needed vacuum or forcep or if she got stuck and I mean there's so many situations that could have happened so um, we waited and eventually they got me onto the cart um, to wheel me to the operating room Um, they had given me the spinal block I believe is what it's called and so you know at that point I was much more numb than I was with just the epidural oh before that they, before they had given me the spinal block, they tried to give me a catheter and my epidural had been wearing off. And so it hurt so bad. I was so scared. So, um, they decided to wait and they gave me the catheter once I got into the operating room, but they took me into the operating room and Quentin expresses often the fear that he felt in that, I don't even know how long it is, maybe 10 minutes that they have you in the operating room and the partner is waiting by themselves outside of the operating room, all dressed up in, you know, booties and the suit and the cap for their hair and just completely alone. Well, I'm completely alone in the operating room, getting, you know, plopped onto this operating table, arms strapped down, 15 people in there doctor, this and this, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm like, it was like roll call each doctor saying their name, what they were doing. And it was just happening so fast. And the bright lights I remember and how cold the table was and, um, just how terrifying that one moment was just laying there like, Oh my gosh, I'm about to get cut open. Like 
this is not what I wanted. My husband's not here with me in this moment. Like, so terrifying. Um, And then my doctor asked me, what kind of music do you want to listen to while while we deliver? (laughs) And I remember just I cannot make a decision right now. Ask Quentin. And so they run out of the operating room and they go ask Quentin, what music do you want to listen to? And they come back in and they said, guess what he said? And we're like, what? And they said, he said, Nora Jones radio. And the whole operating room went, aww, because Nora, obviously. And it was so sweet. So then finally they reunited us. He got to come in there and sit with behind me and hold my hands and um you know they did their thing ready okay here we go and just like I (laughs) the idea of just being awake laying on a table (coughs) excuse me while you know that somebody is about to cut into you is the most intense feeling I remember my whole body was just shaking and it's partly adrenaline and I've heard that it's really normal and I was screaming is this supposed to be happening because I was just trembling um and so they start to make the cut and I just felt so much pressure and (laughs) I was actually really proud of this the doctor said man your abs are so strong you dulled my knife (laughs) that made me really happy but then also like disgusted to realize oh yeah he's cutting through my abdominal wall awesome (laughs) And so anyway, shout out to Peace Health in Bellingham because their whole team there was so amazing. And the anesthesiologist was sitting there and I just remember as they were cutting and going in there, the pressure, and then I just felt pain, like like a sharp pinching pain because Nora was so far down into my pelvis. I could just feel it like at the top of my pelvis and it just hurt so bad. And I was just saying ow, ew, ew, ew. Like I was so disgusted and it hurt and just screaming and crying, ow and ew. And um, so the anesthesiologist was like, oh, does it hurt? Okay, here's more painkillers. Oh, it hurts. Here's more. And then at one point I was like, I'm going to puke. I'm going to puke. And he just, boom, gave me the anti-nausea. And it was just like so on top of it. Boom, boom, boom. Like amazing how responsive they were. And so... After a lot of tugging and pulling and pain, um, I hear the other side of the curtain just kind of like, whoa, because I could feel it. It was like she just kept coming and coming and coming out. I could feel them pulling her out. And the doctor said, this is, it's like his fish story. He said, this is the biggest um, (laughs) This is the biggest baby I've ever seen. So they started taking wagers before they even really let me see her or tell me anything about her. They started taking wagers on um, her weight. And I saw her for the first time um, through the curtain, which was not what I was planning on. And they showed her to me and then they took her over to the little table and Quentin went over there with her and he was able to cut the cord which was what I wanted although I thought I would be watching him do that um and they got her on the scale and she was 
10 pounds even, um, 24 inches long. And so they finally brought her over to me and placed her on my chest. And it was amazing, as most of you know, um, who are listening. Most of you mamas know. So it just was um, really intense to kind of mourn that birthing experience that I thought I was going to have. And um, afterwards, I mean, you know, the rest was all just a blur and the aftercare was super intense and um, I wasn't prepared for a C-section at all or what comes along with it. But um, I won't get into all of that. Um, But at the end of the day, I was in labor for... um, say it was like 30 something hours, 28 hours. And yeah, she was born August 5th at 824 AM. So it was super quick from the time we got in there to do the C-section. That part, I mean, it hardly took any time at all. And, um, yeah, to this day, the doctor had told me, you know, it's a really good thing we did it this way because she was so big that she probably would have been stuck. And it, and it was really reassuring for me to hear that, but Um, it was really hard for me to come to terms with, I had to make that decision to give up what I had wanted. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because she's healthy and she's here. Um, but anytime I see, you know, one of those dang huggy commercials where they take the baby out and plop them on your chest and, um, you know, anything like that on movies or anything, I I get a little bit upset and it took me until basically now to kind of be okay and and mourn that experience that I wanted to have but it was still a really special and beautiful experience and it was my experience and you know I have my scar to remember it by and I have Nora and um, the rest of it has been so amazing that that's just kind of a distant um, distant trauma I guess which it's hard to think that I associate trauma with the birth of my daughter, but I do. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my story in a kind of summed up version, but still a little longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, we all just kind of get our babies here however we're intended to, and all that matters is that they're here now. So Hope you guys enjoyed my story and um, here's to all you mamas out there. So my name is Julia and I have three beautiful girls. My first child was born in 1993. I was only 16 and her name is Janelle. And um, so I was going to give her up for adoption because I was a teen mom. I was uh not sure if I was going to keep her then probably after I picked out an adoptive family, um, I decided it was too hard, maybe eight months along. And I decided to keep her. My mom said she'd support me. So I was able to finish school and, uh, went off to Western for two years, single mom for a couple of years after that. But my birth story with her was, um, I remember the most is I had like a focal point with this cow that was dressed in a purple dress, like a floral purple dress. And I remember the Lamaze class, they actually came to my house and taught me how to breathe at 
my house. And uh, so I was doing the breathing, and I had a really bad lower back pain. My mom used a tennis ball and rubbed it on my lower back. It was like low back labor. And, and my labor was probably 25 hours. And I'd get really exhausted. The contractions were, you know, not consistent. And they tried to speed it up, and it was too intense. And then they let me rest, and they put two shots in my hips so I could sleep a little bit. And then when things did start moving, um, I probably pushed maybe 16 minutes. And then she was born seven pounds and all healthy. But then, like, um, probably uh, about three weeks old, she was around some kids with a really bad cold and ended up back in the hospital for, like, a week or two. That was really scary because I'd do, like, a spinal tap. They thought it was, like some white too much white blood cells in her in her um spinal cord i forget the name but anyways she just had a high they'd hook her up to an iv so it was super scary but i never left her side in the hospital and when we got out and everything's been good so with my second pregnancy i didn't get pregnant again for probably eight years <laughs> me and the dad actually got back together when the, by the time my oldest was nine. We got married, and I was pregnant with the second in 2003. And uh, Paige was overdue about two weeks, and I had to be induced. And they did the scrape where you go in and they scrape you because um, she just wasn't, no contractions, nothing wasn't coming. She just did not want to come out. And about five in the morning, got more intense, about five minutes apart. So we went in, had to walk around the hospital and do everything to get things going. We hooked up and did the whole, um, that, you know, where you could do the, oh man, um, you know, with a spinal thing where you can't feel anything. Anyway, epidural. Yeah, that was the best thing ever. Because in 1993, there was no epidural. They did not have someone on site like they do now and they can just hook you right up and more people then like in 1993 would be like oh you know it's better for the baby if you don't have an epidural or you know don't use any drugs because you know a baby can be really like groggy when they're born and you should do everything all natural that's what they would tell me it's like uh no i want the drugs it's the most painful thing in the world so anyways i was like i want an epidural that's all i kept saying to my doctor i want epidural i don't want to feel that again it was the most horrifying pain in my life horrible and i think because when you push too hard and you're in so much pain you push too hard too fast too because you know they tell you to wait and like um breathe and then push and then like take a deep breath and push and when you're so exhausted and if you're pushing and pushing and sometimes you just have the urge, you just go and keep pushing, but you know, they tell you not to and you push too much and then you end up ripping yourself up, getting stitches and having longer, you know, recovery. But so with Paige though, um, for my, for my epidural, uh, Everything was really nice. I was able to sleep. It was like the most peaceful labor, really relaxing. I couldn't even feel that, you know, by the time I had woken up the next day, like I had such a good rest that they're like, oh, we're going to ease off the epidural so you can start to feel the contractions. It looks like you're starting to dilate. And by the time I was pushing, it wasn't, I didn't push very much. It was like 
you know, really, really just a peaceful labor. So not so scary and intense like it was when I was 16, you know, trying to do everything, like take a shower and anything I could to get rid of the pain because it was just so intense and so awful. Your body's just not meant to have a baby at that age, of course, but you know, that's how it goes. So, but I know it was nice. I was able to, to breastfeed. I didn't really breastfeed, um, my first one as much because I was going back to high school and I tried to pump. <laughs> one time I was pumping in the, in the sick room at the high school and the principal came in and was having a little meeting in the sick room with someone. And I was behind a curtain pumping and they could hear the sound of the pump going and they opened the curtain and it scared me so bad. I was like screamed and I dropped all my milk all over the floor. So after that, one of the teachers finally gave me a key to her classroom. So during my lunch break, I could, her lunch break, you know, I could just go pump in her classroom and have complete privacy. So no one would walk in and make me spill my milk. I'd keep all the little milk in the freezer in the staff room. It was so funny. I remember that. And leaking. Oh, my God. And you're in high school with leaking boobs. You know, kids think that's funny, but my shirt would be soaked, soaked through all the, the pads. And, yeah, so it was just really hard to breastfeed the first one. I didn't do it for too long. And then um, with Paige, though, I was able to breastfeed a little bit longer. But I don't know. I tried to go back to work, and they kind of got rid of one of my jobs and everything. But, you know, um, then about... Um, when Paige was about eight, another eight years later, <laughs> I had my third in 2011. So, so yeah, um, Audrey, she was a surprise, but, um, that labor was also very different. Now Paige was only eight pounds, a little bigger than Janelle, but you know, Paige was just a, such an easy baby and always so happy. And it's like really easy. I could she went straight to sleeping to bed and everything, but Audrey was just, just, you know, they're all completely different. So, well, um, when I was pregnant with Audrey, I, I was overdue again, <laughs> but not too much because I actually went to labor, uh, <laughs> the next day after my due date. And I was planning to be induced thinking that I'd be overdue like the second one, but no, woke up at like one in the morning with the most intense pain, horrible and I could hardly stand up and got to the hospital, and I was already dilated to a seven. So things went really, really fast with my third. And um, they tried to hook up an epidural, but we hardly had time, and it didn't really work. So half of my body was numb. <laughs> and then they noticed she wasn't turned the right way, so they tried to turn her around. So she ended up with, like, a little scrape on her head. But that was intense because they wanted me to get on all fours and help her kind of turn her turn around inside me. And I couldn't feel the whole half of my body. Like, my husband was holding my leg. Like, I couldn't even move my other half of my body. So it was just kind of strange. Like, I could feel everything on one side of my body, but not on the other side. So, you know, which is nice. It's, it's nice to feel the the contractions and when you're in labor. Because then you know, you know, you know when you're ready to push and everything and how intense it is. But then it's nice to have the edge off because it can be so intense that you want it over and you can hurt yourself, I think, just pushing too hard. And So I don't know. It was good. I went fast, though. I remember she came fast, and we had a little trouble with, like, one of her shoulders, trying to get her shoulder out, but everything was good. She was really big, like almost nine pounds. <laughs> so she was a chunk. And uh, I breastfed her the longest, of course. She was a lot older and a lot more 
stable life. Like I could stay home, babysit, and I was able to have more time with her. I ended up with a kidney stone, of course. And so once she was five months old, I had a kidney stone. I had to stop breastfeeding because I was taking the pain meds, and then I dried up my milk. And it's kind of crazy. I don't know how anybody feels about this, but my neighbor, she had a baby that, like the same like week that I did our kids were like the same age and she was breastfeeding too and pumping and freezing her milk and she actually gave me all her stockpile of frozen milk so I could I could just keep feeding her breast milk for a little bit longer it was really nice I know it's kind of creepy to some people but I thought it was the sweetest thing (laughs) anyways um yeah Audrey was a lot faster and I feel like it's easier the more you have for sure (laughs) so that's on my labor stories and I'm proud of them and I can't wait to hear everyone else's. I hope everyone is doing well and have a good night. So now that we've heard some incredible birth stories, um, we're going to kind of transition the episode and hear a few postpartum stories. So um, this is Mickey and I will go ahead and share my postpartum story with you guys. Um, My first child, my daughter Piper, Um, the pregnancy went great. Um, delivery went, I mean, pretty great considering what it is. Um, and everything was going well. I remember I, um, reached down to pull her up on my chest and like, you know, grabbed her kind of by the booty (laughs) and she pooped in my hands. So that was a pretty good start to our relationship and very fitting for the two of us. But, um, things started to get trickier as soon as we went to start breastfeeding. So I have large breasts, um, have since puberty. Breastfeeding um, just wasn't something that I was ever worried about. For the record, I realized breast size has nothing to do with it, but I'm like, all right, I got boobs. Like that's one thing going for me. Like I'm not even going to worry about this. Well, we took a little breastfeeding class, took a, um, a birthing class and everything. And, um, I felt totally confident, not even a blip on my radar of things to worry about. Well, we go to start trying to breastfeed and it just was not working. Um, apparently we're going to talk about nipples now. (laughs) Apparently I just have very, um, like flat nipples. Um, they're just, I mean, I, they can get hard when I get cold and stuff, but, uh, I don't know. It was super stressful having a bunch of people staring at you and you're like trying to get your nipple out and have a baby suck on it. Totally overwhelming. Um, so we were trying that, trying that they brought in a breast pump to try to like suck them out and, um, ice cubes to rub on them. And like we were trying everything and she was pretty little. She was, um, six pounds, 13 ounces, I think not tiny, but she's a pretty little girl. And, um, I I don't know if her like mouth, you know, her mouth was tiny too, and it just wasn't working very well. So, um, I started pumping and we like, okay, well we need to at least get some of that, um, colostrum or whatever in her system, like give feeding her with like a little spoon. And then they started syringe feeding her, um, And then we also had the problem that she slept too much. She was very, very lethargic. Um, I I had an epidural with her. I, um, I was induced 
and I, I, my water broke, but I wasn't having any contractions. So they ended up having to give me Pitocin to get anything started at all. And the contractions just um, went from zero to super intense really quickly. Um, so I got the epidural, which, oh God, I'm so thankful for. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but um, she was very, very lethargic to the point where we had to stay in the hospital like an extra day, like spend the night the extra day because we just couldn't wake her up often enough to feed her as much as they wanted her to be feeding before we went home. Um, that in itself was extremely stressful. We're like tor just torturing this poor baby, like taking her clothes off, putting like cold ice on her, moving her around, trying to get her to wake up to eat anything. We're like, um, I'm pumping and then supplementing with formula and doing this syringe thing. And it was just a nightmare. Um, we finally got her home and she's still super, super sleepy. So we're like, okay, every four hours, like going through this torture to wake her up, to get her to eat anything. And then by that time, I was still struggling with breastfeeding. Um, they, <laughs> I, we ended up having a, um, like a lactation consultant come out to our house. Uh, they gave me some plastic, like, I don't even know how to describe them. Like these kind of like cup things to put on your boobs. I have like a hole to put your nipple in to kind of like encourage the, the tissue to um, like release around your areola to try to just like, I don't know, help them poke out more, I guess. Um, I was trying that. And, um, so before I get into all that, she was still having a lot of trouble waking up. Uh, I had to get um, some stitches because she came out really fast. So I ended up needing some stitches and um, just I wasn't expecting, I don't know, the recovery to be what it was. I mean, you never really know. But um, we were like our first of our friends to have a baby. So I really didn't know what to expect. So they sent me home and I was on some painkillers. And so I wasn't taking them that often, but, you know, like every six or eight hours or whatever, just to, to keep that pain down. But, um, I'm like really starting to worry about my baby and why in the world she's so tired. And I'm like, I wonder if, um, if the pain medicine is like affecting her. And I mean, we were supplementing and, um, I was still pumping and, and tube feeding her. So they're probably, I don't know how much of the medicine would actually get through to her system, but um, I decided to completely just stop taking all the pain medicine. And you guys, I swear that within a few hours, it was like I had a totally different baby. Like she was awake and we didn't have problems waking her up anymore. It was a complete 180 and like I said, I don't know if, I mean, if that's even quick enough to get out of her system or what it was, but the drastic change in her behavior after that, I mean, it was huge. So now she's awake and doing well. So we're like, okay, now we're going to work on breastfeeding. We have the lactation people come out to our house and um, they gave me also some nipple shields to use. So, so we would get to put the shield over my nipple and then feed the little syringe tube through the nipple hole and then have her like nurse on that so that she'd still like get the nipple idea and be close to me and smelling me and getting breast milk like pretending nursing until we could get it <laughs> it was the most heartbreaking 
horrible experience of my whole life. I was miserable. I just felt like such a failure. It was humiliating to go through all that to like pretend to feed my baby. Um, we had the <laughs> yeah, a couple nurses come out and check everything. And one of them pretty much just flat out said, oh, well, if she hasn't learned to by now, then she's just not going to. And this is my first baby. And I was like, really, you know, you want to do everything perfect by them. So I was like, you know, I'm not giving up on this. This is something that I really want to do. We just kept with it. Um, but it was definitely crushing to hear someone say, oh, well, if she hasn't learned by now, then she's not going to. And she was like maybe a month old. So every time we had to feed her was just devastating. And she was growing and and that was great. But it was still just like, okay. Like, I mean, my husband could do it. And that just did not feel good to me. Like, oh, here, put on this fake boob and put this little thing in there. Like, it just, it, it was just bad. It, it did not make me feel good. Um, so I just kept with it. And I would still try to get her to latch onto me naturally. And um, eventually with the shield, we'd be able to nurse. So we got rid of the syringe and she could actually nurse, but it was with that shield on. So I couldn't like go breastfeed in public. I mean, which I'm not, I wasn't super com comfortable doing anyways, because it's my first baby and I'm super shy. But I mean, like, oh, I have to pull out my nipple shield and put on and it was just draining. Um, but at least I was able to nurse that way. And then eventually by three months old, um, after just working at it and trying, and honestly, I think she just like grew enough that her mouth got big enough and she just did it one day. And then we were able to nurse regularly, which was, I mean, probably the happiest day ever. I mean, besides her birth, obviously, but huge relief. So, um, yeah, it was all a lot, just a lot for a new mom. And just to have those many issues with something that I wasn't expecting to struggle with at all. I was worried about not sleeping. And that was like not even an issue. I mean, it was, but totally worth it for her. And it, it wasn't a problem for my life at the time or whatever. But um, yeah, so we made it through. I ended up nursing her until she was nine months old, going strong. Um, and then she just stopped gaining weight and we went in and we're like, okay, we're going to start supplementing. That's weird. And then we found out I was pregnant with her little brother. Surprise. So, um, yeah, that kind of my milk tanked by then. And, um, we, yeah, quit, quit breastfeeding then, but, but yeah, our journey to get there was a rough one and, I was so nervous to go through that again with my son, although I was feeling a lot more confident because I'm like, okay, well, my nipples have no problem like hanging out there now after a baby's been sucking on them for months. So I should be fine. And um, it was a lot better with my second kid. He, I felt like he was latching great um, right after birth. His, my birth with him went really great. Also um, pretty easygoing pregnancy besides just being exhausted because I had a baby at home also. Um, but then his latch bent ended, um, ended up being just a little bit off. And since, I mean, I 
didn't really work on perfecting a latch or anything with a newborn the first time around. It was like going through this whole part again for the first time, learning how to position him and everything. And I ended up getting mastitis um, and a fever of like 103 at fun story at Megan's um, engagement party. I went and I I was like not feeling well, but okay, we're going to take my new baby and my little baby and my husband and where we went and got to celebrate her. And I was like, I'm just really, you know, I'm not feeling very well. We're not going to stay very late. And I get home and I take my temperature and I'm like, Oh, that's why I have a huge fever. And I'm like so sweaty and in pain. And I would like cry every time he had to nurse Ugh, nightmare. So that is the exciting part of my postpartum journey, which I I recognize is I'm pretty blessed to have only had those issues. Um, But I mean, everyone is, you know, your, your trauma is your trauma, your experience is, you know, your experience. And yeah, it's all hard. And we are all amazing, super women for doing it. And I'm proud of everyone. And thank you all for sharing your stories. And now I will let the rest of the postpartum stories come along and share with you. Thanks, everyone. Hi, this is Jennifer. I'm calling in about my afterbirth story for my firstborn kiddo. Dexter was born with several congenital heart defects. A couple of those defects, specifically his aorta, would have started to affect him after about two to three days after birth if nothing had been done. So, if his heart defects hadn't been caught by doctors, his health would have theoretically taken a turn for the worst at about the time most moms and babies get discharged from the hospital and go home. Thankfully, we had amazing doctors who knew what they were seeing at our standard 20-week gestation anatomy ultrasound. And I consider us super lucky, not just that the doctors caught the problems, but that we learned of his heart defects in the middle of the pregnancy because it meant we had time to prepare for the reality that our baby was going to have a NICU stay and he was going to have open heart surgery. I had literally the entire second half of the pregnancy to research hospitals, meet doctors, have the surgery procedure explained to me a million times, and overall just mentally prepare for what was going to happen. So, At 38 weeks gestation, our baby boy made it into the world, went immediately to the NICU, and got the medicine that would temporarily keep his heart working until he could have surgery. Dexter's two-week stay in the NICU was just to get him bigger and stronger and more stable. Those days were simple, but they were also really exhausting. We would spend upwards of 12 hours a day only going home to sleep at night. And other than pumping, which I did obsessively because it was like the only thing I felt like I could do, we would spend our days holding Dexter and all of his little medical cords and just wait until he was ready for surgery. At two weeks old, surgery was first thing on a Monday morning, which is typically when they do the most serious surgery on the schedule because doctors are well rested from the weekend and they have the entire day to adjust the schedule if something happens. 
the surgery included 17 minutes of his heart being clamped shut, meaning during that time there wasn't blood flow to part of his body. Newborn baby hearts are about the size of a walnut, and two different doctors operated on Dexter's heart at the same time. In total, it was about four hours from the time he was wheeled away until he was back recovering in pediatric intensive care. His tubes and his cords were all propped up with beanie babies, and because he was intubated, he couldn't cry. It was kind of a pitiful sight, but also, for me, just a feeling of emotional release to come out on the other side of something that we had spent literal months anticipating. Recovery was a whirlwind. Within a day, he was extubated, and after another day, I got to nurse him for the first time. And on day three, post-surgery, at 17 days old, he was cleared to go home. It honestly baffles me that the hospital, after monitoring him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 17 days with trained medical professionals, just let us take him home. And we were only given pretty basic instructions, like the surgery incision runs the length of his shoulder blade on his back, so... Don't pick him up at the armpits. Other than that, we were just at home with the newborn. Once the surgery was over and we had Dexter home, I think that's when I realized we had spent so much of our time putting emotions aside in order to get through the pregnancy, through the NICU stay, through the surgery, and that once those were all over, there were still a lot of emotions that I needed to address. One was guilt, specifically because during the pregnancy, Right after the 20-week anatomy scan, we found out that I had a genetic order, disorder called 22Q11 microduplication, and that I passed that disorder on to Dexter. Even though I knew I didn't choose to give him a genetic disorder, I felt a lot of responsibility and a lot of guilt for being what I felt like was the cause for his pain. The other emotion that I had during the pregnancy that I needed to be dealing with were anger and grief because the week after that 20-week anatomy scan my dad unexpectedly passed away he was on his last day of vacation halfway across the world even now years later i still harbor that anger and that sadness about the fact that my dad is just not around to meet my children i want to give my children the best possible world and the world is not the same without my dad even after counseling and talking with a counselor, I don't expect that that anger or that grief will ever really go away. So, between the genetic diagnosis and potential future health problems and the anger and the frustration over not having my dad around for support, the surgery being over and extra friendly being home, the thing that I had to learn over time was that I cannot control what happens to my family and that Sometimes I can only respond to the situation and that that response is what I can control. And I say that I had to learn to be okay with not being in control because it really wasn't easy for me to understand right away. Looking back, if I made it through two hellish weeks of pregnancy, finding out that my babies had this health problem and my dad dying and then a few months later, another difficult few weeks of giving birth and a NICU stay, and then us getting through his heart surgery, then I'd like to think that that showed to myself that I was capable of making it through anything. 
all I could do was focus on taking care of Dexter one day at a time. And while I definitely had times of worry and just expecting the other shoe to drop at any moment, eventually after three or four or maybe six months, Dexter getting bigger and reaching new milestones, I think at that point I was feeling like I could start to relax more. So, yeah, that's my Dexter after story. He did have another heart procedure at around eight months old, which we were not anticipating. And he has had a total of three or four surgeries in his four and a half year life. But otherwise, he's just the most energetic, loudest kid on the planet. He just loves life. And he has no medical restrictions on what he can do. And as I mentioned before, we learned that Dexter's genetic disorder is inherited from me, and I have a 50% chance of passing that disorder on to other children. So for a few years after Dexter was born, I really went back and forth on whether to risk going through that kind of situation again, or worse, with another child. Um, Ultimately, we chose to roll the dice, and so now we have a six-month-old in addition to Dexter. However, that is another birth story for another day. So that's all I got. Have a great day. Hi, my name is Kim. I am mom to Amelia, who's four and a half, and Andrew, who is 16 months. I didn't have particularly interesting birth stories with either of my kids, but I do have an interesting or somewhat unique breastfeeding experience with both of my kids. Um, When Amelia was born, we took to breastfeeding pretty easily, I thought. Um, She never had a great latch, and it was decently painful to start with, but I think that's a lot of experiences of of brand new moms, especially first-time moms, so I didn't really think much of it. I was lucky enough to consult with some lactation consultants and figured we were well on our way to a successful breastfeeding journey. Um, I was sidelined with that twice with mastitis with Amelia bilaterally, sidelined on both sides. And then the third time, Amelia was about eight weeks old. And from the mastitis, I actually developed an abscess in my left breast. And so that had to be taken care of. So I went to see a breast surgeon and they tried to drain it in the office and weren't able to. So I actually ended up having to have surgery in the hospital to um, drain that abscess in my left breast. And nobody could really tell me what was going to happen afterwards, if I was going to be able to continue feeding her or if I was not. So I just kind of played it by ear. And it turned out I was not. I was never able to feed Amelia again on my left side. So Nature is pretty cool, and so are our bodies. So my right side took over, and I exclusively fed Amelia for 17 months on only one side, which I thought was pretty cool. So she weaned herself off by herself, and it was no big deal. Um, When I was pregnant with Andrew, also nobody was able to tell me what was going to happen if I was going to even get milk back on that side since I had dried up right after surgery only on the one side. So nobody really knew what was going to happen and nobody could really provide much guidance beyond we'll see what happens. So Andrew was born and he latched like a champ. I figured out that 
Amelia had a terrible latch and was a very lazy eater because Andrew could be finished in five minutes. Um, I actually developed mastitis with him when he was about five weeks old after trying to feed him on both sides and thought things were going well. I didn't have quite as much supply on my left side, on my affected side, as I did on the other side, which was didn't seem like it was a big deal until I got mastitis again and Andrew got thrush and we had kind of a myriad of problems and I feel like the lactation consultant at the hospital that day when I went in with mastitis kind of gave me permission to not feed him on that left side that was constantly hurting and not producing very much. And she kind of said, well, just don't feed him on that side anymore. So I didn't. And I have not fed my son on the left side since that he was five weeks old. And at 16 months, I'm still nursing him. So I think it's a pretty unique and interesting perspective that you can feed your child you can breastfeed your child from one side of your body and not on the other, only have one breast that produces any milk. So uh, if there's a will, there's a way, I suppose, or if you, I don't know, if your body takes over and just does what it does. So I think all moms are awesome, and I want to say happy Mother's Day to everybody. Thank you. My name is Whitney. I'm mom to Isaac. He'll be two next month, end of June. Um, so I was induced at 39 weeks um, because of gestational diabetes. Um, I was in labor for 40 hours, 19 of which I did not have an epidural. I pushed for less than an hour and there was my little man. So this is my postpartum story. Um, mentally, I felt good. Physically, I felt terrible. I felt worse than I had expected. Like, just so physically drained. And I knew I'd be tired from having a baby, but this just seemed out of the ordinary, especially seeing, you know, my friends have had babies and they never seemed this tired physically. It took a lot of physical energy to get up and just do what I needed to do. Um, like take a shower, go to the bathroom, get something to eat. It just did not feel right. Um, it hurt to stand up straight. I had to walk hunched over. Um, at three weeks postpartum, on my first day being home alone with my three-week-old baby, we were sleeping on the couch, and I woke up to this trickling feeling um, down below. So I got up and rushed bathroom and this gets a little messy <laughs> no pun intended um and I sit down and my hat and underwear are just full of blood scared the crap out of me 
So my parents were supposed to be on their way to my house. And so I called my husband several times with no answer. So I called my mom to see how far away she was. No answer. So I called my dad because he was supposed to be with her. And I tell him what's happening. He's not with her, by the way. And he freaks out and tells me I need to call 911. I'm crying. I'm scared. My three-week-old is screaming his head off. And there's nothing I can do. So I hang up and I try calling my husband again. No answer. I try calling his dad, who was his boss at the time. No answer. So I finally called 911. So the paramedics showed up and they were amazing. They were shocked at the amount of blood. One of the female paramedics stayed in the bathroom with me while the other two, a man and another woman, took care of my son. They changed his diaper. They got him in some dry clothes. They got him a bottle. They prepared his diaper bag and they got him into his car seat. And they took us via ambulance to the hospital. On my way to the hospital, my husband finally calls back and I tell him what happened or what what I was doing. And he met us at the hospital. I sat in the waiting room for hours. Hours. Because my vitals were stable. Never mind, I'm bleeding very heavily. My vitals are stable, so they make me sit there. Oh, and I failed to mention that they took me with no pants and no shoes. So I'm sitting in a wheelchair wrapped in a blanket. So I finally get an ultrasound and then I'm put back out in the waiting room for another couple hours. Then they finally put me in a room. The ER doctor comes in, female, and she says to me, well, apparently postpartum women bleed for up to six to eight weeks. I said, yes, I'm aware of that, but I had stopped already. And this wasn't just a bleeding. This was an incredible amount of blood. Anyway, I also told her that I had stitches in three places down there. This doctor never touched me and never examined me. She sent me home. A few hours later, after no more bleeding, middle of the night, it happens again. So instead of calling 911, I call the nurse on call, and she talks to me about what's going on and puts me on hold, calls the on-call OB, comes back on, And they are not sure what's going on. So they're like, well, let's just, you can either go back to the ER or you can wait and see what happens. Okay, so I'll wait and see what happens because obviously nothing happened at the ER. So then I go back to bed. Actually, I'm sleeping on the couch sitting up because I'm afraid to lay down. 
I can't do anything with my child because I'm terrified. My mom is here with me. My husband is here with me. And I'm drained. No energy. All I can do is sleep. The next morning, the on-call OB calls and leaves me a message to check on me. Gives me her personal cell number in case I have any questions. 30 minutes after I hear this message, I have a huge gush again. So I run to the bathroom. The floor of my bedroom looks like a murder scene. And I have a clot, probably the size of a softball. And I'm like, screw this, I'm calling the doctor herself. So I called her, made an appointment to have a DNC done so that she can see what's going on. So I go in the next day for my DNC. And after waking up from my surgery, which, by the way, felt amazing to wake up feeling refreshed, she tells me that I had retained placenta. Retained placenta. (laughs) From being induced, put into labor when my body wasn't ready. I just was shocked, upset that I had to have, I had to be induced, which my gestational diabetes story is a whole nother story. How was this missed? I specifically remember when my placenta was delivered, them inspecting it and saying it was intact. So I've been to nursing school. I did a round of obstetrics and labor and delivery. And during the labor that I assisted in, the mother had to push to get the placenta out. I was never told to push to get the placenta out. It was just pulled out by the umbilical cord. So that, I don't know. So the complications of having a retained placenta often leads to septic shock. Sepsis. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. Leads to sepsis, which can kill you pretty quickly, actually. So that really upset me. But after my DNC, I felt great. My pain was gone. My energy was back. I could care for my baby. So that is my postpartum birth story. All right. Well, that wraps up our extra special Mother's Day episode. 
Thank you so much, ladies, for being vulnerable with us and sharing your stories. And we hope you all enjoyed listening to them. And happy, happy Mother's Day to all the mamas out there. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to Boss Ladies and Babies. If you like this episode, be sure to rate, review, and leave us some feedback. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the conversation in our Facebook group at Boss Ladies and Babies. And until next time, stay stay bossy. bossy.